All right, thank you, worship team. Good morning, New Hope Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Well, good. Okay, great and cold. And we have Matt. My name is Ryan, the lead pastor here at New Hope. And uh, I was thinking just a moment before I came up here, I thought it'd be good to have kind of a new weekly encouragement for us at New Hope Church to both bring your Bible and a snow shovel, like every Sunday, because it seems like every Sunday we just get pounded with snow, and and, uh, this is the season we're in right now. But uh, thank you for coming out. I also want to give a welcome to those of you, and we've already done it, but watching on Facebook. And um, do, do me a favor, if you're at home or wherever you may be, and you're watching on Facebook, if you would just, if you haven't already, just write in and say good morning. We'd love to hear that you're with us, and uh, love to hear you say hello. And of course, Hannah's back there, and you can interact and ask questions as we go. I know uh, you're not in the room with us, but you're with us this morning. And so, and, and looking back there, there are a whole lot of people sitting at home in their fuzzy slippers watching this service right now, and, and not here in this room with us. But um, hey, we are continuing on. In fact, today is the last day of our sermon series of the seven things God uses to grow faith. And, and I hope it's been an encouragement to you. I hope that these past seven weeks, six weeks, and today have, have just been uh, um, helpful as we launch into 2019 and we think about this idea that God wants to build faith. He wants to build your faith. But that means that he wants to help you and I to become more like Jesus. And this is the work that he's after, that as we've talked about, he, he, he receives us and loves us as we are, but he doesn't leave us in that place. He wants to help us mature and to grow. And so we've been looking at different ways, and our God's a creative God, but some, some primary ways that God works in our lives to help grow our faith. And so if you have, uh, have missed any of these past messages, you can go on Facebook and, uh, and you can watch those. You can go on the website and listen. We also have them on podcasts. So anywhere place you want to listen to podcasts, you can uh, follow those as well. Uh, so, so today is the last day for that. I, I wanted to mention that next Sunday, we are, and I'm very excited about this, we are launching into a brand new sermon series called Stories. And I'm really, I'm looking forward to this actually for a very long time. What we're going to be doing in this next sermon series starting next Sunday is we're going to be taking time to take on this big question. The question is this, what is your story? What's your story of how God has worked in and through your life? What are the things that he's been doing in your life and and that it's unique to you? And as we're looking and unpacking that idea, we're going to be looking at six people from the New Testament. We're going to be deep diving into these different characters, men and women, both, and looking at who they were, the life they lived, and, and what did God do in their life to transform them, to, again, change them from the inside out. Because what we're going to learn together are principles for how God does this work in us, how he changes us. And so very excited to both to look at our individual stories, look at stories from the New Testament, and we've got one other story to tell. And that's the story of New Hope Church. Do you realize that New Hope Church is turning 20 years old in a few weeks? I mean, that's fantastic and super, super exciting. And so we're going to be telling the New Hope story starting next Sunday. Uh, we're going to be doing that through video. We're going to be doing that through uh, lots of other creative ways. In fact, I'll even mention this. Mark your calendars for April 4th, because April 4th is the very date, 20 years prior, of the very first worship gathering of New Hope Church. And so we're going to be gathering. It's a Thursday evening, but we're going to be gathering not here. We're going back to ADM Elementary School. We're going back to the very original spot for an evening of praise, of gratitude. Mark Doss is coming back to be with us. It's going to be a very special night. So just circle that date in your calendar. More details to come. But we're going to take some time, and we're going to tell God thank you. Because he's been so good to New Hope Church for all these years. And, and many of you, I mean, I'm fairly new, but many of you, you've experienced that year after year for up to 20 years. 
And so it's a beautiful thing. So we want to just rejoice and tell God thank you for that. But we're not there yet. Today, I want to finish off this sermon series and, uh, and look at our next idea, number seven, on our list. So if you have your bulletin, you can turn it in the back there. Just flip it over. Take some notes here. And, uh, and, and, and what we're going to do is I want to hit this idea that, that in reminding us that God wants to grow our faith. And I already mentioned that. He wants to grow our faith. He wants to deepen our faith. This is the work that he's about to do. And I want you to do something with me here. I want you to imagine something with me. And, and if, you, if you want, you can close your eyes. Don't fall asleep, but you can close your eyes if you want. But I want you to imagine with me this. I want you to imagine with me that you had absolute full confidence that there was a God that exists and that this God that exists and knows you completely loves you completely and loves you deeply. I want you to imagine with me that you had a faith that was so rock solid that there was never for you a time when you doubted and you had lacked confidence in God in his control over circumstances, in his goodness, in his grace, in his favor in your life, and that no matter what circumstances you're going through, that you knew that God was going to see you through it. I want you to imagine with me that your faith was so deep and powerful that, again, no matter what you face, that every day as you live life, that you could face it without fear, without anxiety, without a a crippling worry that just kind of dogs you and plagues you and follows you around, that no matter what you were going through, no matter how painful it was, you knew at the end of the day, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You can open your eyes. Could you imagine having that kind of faith? Because that's the kind of faith that God wants to build into you and into me. That's what, that's what he wants to bring us to. He wants to get us to, to that place. And maybe you've met someone who has that kind of faith. And if you have, you know it is, it is attractive. It is compelling. It is one of those things where you look at it and you say, that is an absolutely amazing thing to see. But when it comes to issues of faith and trust in God... We really hit the big question, don't we? Because the big question, and maybe for some of us here, or if you're watching on Facebook, the big question that we face so often in our spiritual lives is this. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? This is a question I face too. And maybe for you it's an area that's an obstacle, maybe not, but will you trust him? Here's our big idea for this morning, our first fill in the blank. Here it is. It's this, that God uses... Okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you with this to build my faith. That God uses that. That moment when you come to a place where you say, Okay, God, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to turn it over to you. Because here's the key. Here's the key. Is that when you practice trusting God, God uses that to build and grow your trust in God. That's how that works. You learn to trust God by trusting God. And so he uses those times where you say, okay, God, I'm just going to turn it over to you, and I'm going to see what you want to do with this. And I'm going to trust you completely that whatever it is you do, while I may not understand it, I may not see it coming, it may be wholly different than what I think, I know with full confidence it's for your greatest glory, and it's going to be for my greatest good. That's trust. That's faith. I don't know about you, but when I look at the New Testament, Read the Gospels, for example. And I read about Jesus. And you read his, his life. And the things that he did, and the miracles, and the teachings, and all of that. 
I don't know about you, but it's amazing to, to see. It's, I'm amazed when I read about the life of Jesus. And what I also find interesting is that people who were with Jesus, who, who lived during that time, who interacted with Jesus, they too were amazed. They too were amazed at his teaching and his miracles and, and the way he just treated people. It caught people off guard. It amazed people. And so while I'm amazed and you're amazed at Jesus and others who are with Jesus were amazed at Jesus, did you know that in the New Testament, only two times does it ever say that Jesus was amazed at us? Twice. That's it. And and what I find interesting, and we're going to look at these two times in just a moment, but these two occasions where it says that Jesus was amazed, it has nothing to do with obedience It has nothing to do with giving. It has nothing to do with serving. It has nothing to do with church attendance. It has nothing to do with evangelism. Now, those are all good things. It has nothing to do with those arenas. That's actually not what, in this case, amazed Jesus as he was interacting with people while he lived here on earth. And so what I want to do this morning is we're going to take a look at these two stories. Just two stories. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, and your snow shovels, uh, you can turn there to Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 8. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to look at two snapshot stories. And we're going to look at these two occasions where Jesus was amazed. And here's the thing. I think you're going to be surprised at what you find. I think you're going to be surprised at what you find. Okay, so Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 6 will be first. Then we're going to go to Matthew chapter 8. Again, if you have a tablet or smartphone, you can go to uversion.com and follow along that way. So let's go ahead and look at story number one. We're in Mark chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 1. Of course, you can follow along the screen behind. Here's what it says. It says that Jesus left there and went to his hometown. Now, his hometown is Nazareth. So he's, he's with his disciples. He travels back home. This is where his family is at. These were his childhood friends. These are people he probably worked with. This is his home synagogue. He goes back to Nazareth, and he's accompanied by his disciples. Verse 2. And when, he, uh, uh, when the Sabbath came, excuse me, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. So, so here's the scene. It's Saturday. It's, it's the time for them to come together for the Jews to worship. And it was customary. It was normal for guests, people to come up and to take a few minutes and to share. And so Jesus gets up and he teaches in his home synagogue. And the people are, are they're absolutely amazed at what they're hearing. It's possible that this is the first time those from his hometown are hearing him teach. And so they're amazed. And it begins to give more, more context. It says, where did this man get these things, they asked. And What's this wisdom that has been given him? And what are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And it says this, and they took offense at him. In other words, they're amazed, but they didn't believe him. They didn't have faith in him. In verse 4, it says, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. And he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. Verse 6, and here's the key. And he was, Jesus was, amazed at their lack of faith. Amazed at their lack of faith. Of faith. So, so here again, we see this scene that Jesus goes home to Nazareth, and, and he's with his family, he's with his friends, he's with his, his, in his home synagogue, and he has this occasion where he teaches, and, and, and the people are amazed at him, but they struggle too. And you see the questions, they start asking, I mean, isn't this the boy we watch grow up? Isn't this the, the guy who had that blue collar carpenter job? I got his table in my house. I mean, 
is this really him? And, and what's this with disciples? And he's a rabbi, a teacher now? Like, I don't get this. And then they take a little dig at him because they say, isn't this Mary's son? Because normally a child would be referred to as the, the child of the father. But here they say Mary because they're going back now a lot of years back in history to the scandal. The scandal around Jesus' birth. Who's the dad and what's going on with this? And so they have all these, these layers of just familiarity with Jesus. And so here they have this, this almost contempt for him here. And they, as it says, they took offense at him. They were, in other words, that word means they were repelled by him. Your next fill in the blank is this. This is a sad thing. That Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. They didn't trust Jesus. They didn't, they didn't believe in him. They were skeptical. And I don't know, this is just an opinion, but I just, I wonder for Jesus as he's in his hometown, family, friends, neighbors, to have this kind of reception, did that hurt? Was that hard, hard for Jesus, just on a, on a personal level, you know, where he's there amongst his own and they rejected him. So here we have the first story, Jesus amazed at a lack of faith. Let's look at our second story. Turn now, if you would, go back a book to Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 5. Here's our second story, which will contrast pretty well. It says this, that when he, speaking of Jesus, had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. He's suffering terribly. And he, this is Jesus now, said to him, I will come and I'll heal him. I'm going to push pause here just real quick. So just so we have the understanding of what's going on, a centurion was a Roman soldier, and he commanded a hundred soldiers, a hundred men. And so this is, this is who he is, and he comes to Jesus for help. And this is a little bit surprising, because the Jews hated the Romans, and quite frankly, the Romans hated the Jews. And for the Jewish people, the Romans were the bad guys. The Romans were the people they despised. They're the ones that invaded. They're the ones that had the high taxes. They're the ones that were ruining lives. They're the ones that were, that were just despised. And then you have the centurion who comes to Jesus, and he comes humbly, and, and he calls him, interesting enough, he calls him Lord. And he doesn't just ask for prayer for his sick servant. He asks for healing for his sick servant. That's pretty bold. And so he comes and he makes this, this request, and Jesus agrees. Now, I'm guessing that those in the crowd that were watching this were like, no, Jesus, not again. No, they're the bad guys. You've got to you know, heal the good guys. Don't, don't heal the bad guys. Like, this is a really bad PR move here on Jesus' part. But he's willing to go. He's willing to step out and say, I will go, and I will, I will do this. Let's look at verse 8. We'll continue on. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. Wow. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So here the centurion, this this Roman Gentile who has little to no interaction with Jesus. He doesn't know the Bible. He doesn't know the Old Testament. But he comes to Christ in, in this position of humility, and he fully understands the lordship of Christ. He basically says to him, he says, look, Jesus, just say the word. I know you can heal my, my servant. You don't even have to come. In fact, you're, I'm not even worthy to have you come under my roof. 
you, you can do it, I don't know, long distance, wirelessly. I mean, you can do it some way, but you, you don't even have to come. You have that kind of authority. And I trust you that much. And it's important to know that at least in the scriptural record, Jesus had never healed somebody yet without actually being physically present with them. See, the centurion couldn't go and say, you know, Jesus, I heard that last week you did this thing where you were like in another town and you healed somebody in a different town. And so could you just pull that trick out and do that again? I mean, if that would be awesome. It never been done according to the scriptural record. And so here the centurion comes and you talk about bold faith. And he says, look, I think you are so much in control and I trust you so much. I know you don't even have to go and show up. You can just do it from here. I trust you. That's incredible. This is a Roman guard, a Roman centurion who makes this kind of bold faith. He simply believed that Jesus had the authority to heal. Let's keep going. Verse 10. And when Jesus heard this, and here it is, he was amazed. By the way, this is the exact same Greek word is back in Mark chapter 6. He was amazed. And he said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, With no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Essentially what Jesus is doing here is he's, with his words, it's sort of a slap in the face to the Jewish people. He's saying, look, my own people don't even have this kind of faith. And this Roman centurion who believes in me and trusts me to such a, or such a degree has put to shame my own people. This is basically, I'm paraphrasing what he's saying. Verse 13, and, the centurion, and to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Two stories. And these are the only two times in all of scripture where it says that Jesus was amazed. And they couldn't be more different, could they? On one account, amazed at lack of faith. On the other account, amazed at faith. One was the Jewish people. One was the Gentiles. One was people, a group of people that knew him. And, and you would think if any group of people would grab a hold of Jesus and trust in him, wouldn't it be that group? But it wasn't. I mean, you talk about a contrasting set of circumstances here, but it highlights that what Jesus was amazed at has to do with faith, your faith and my faith. That's what gets his attention. Like that's for, that's for the Lord. That's what's such a big deal is our faith. He cares deeply about your faith. Your faith or lack thereof is a big deal to God. It's a very, very big deal to God. But as I mentioned before, so often our biggest challenge, our, our biggest challenge for our spiritual lives, and not just for us, but you look at throughout church history, you look at throughout hu- human history, the biggest struggle people have had in their faith has often comes down to, am I going to trust God? Am I going to trust him? In fact, if you go back to the very beginning, Genesis, the first people, Adam and Eve, the first act of disobedience, That whole scene in Genesis chapter 3 was all about trust. Were Adam and Eve, were they going to trust God to do what he said he was going to do and to be who he said he was? 
In fact, look with me on the screen behind real quick. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So he's asking the question here. And I'm not going to read this, but verses 2 and 3, Eve then responds back to the serpent and and affirms that this is what God has said. In fact, she's able to articulate back the words and command of God, that you're free to eat of any fruit in the garden, just not this one over here. Just not this one. And so she knows that she articulates it back. And then look at verse 4, and look at what Satan does here. Look Look at how he deceives here. He says this, he says, You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's he doing here? What he's doing is he's infusing the scene with doubt about the character of God. He's showing up here and he's casting doubt both about God's character. He's suggesting to Eve, he's suggesting, you know what? God, is is he really good? Is God really fair? I mean, are his commands really for your best? That's what he does. He puts that little skepticism inside of our heart or inside of our head, and we, and we wrestle. Does, does God really know what he's doing? I mean, sometimes in our lives it looks like this. God, I'm, I mean, I, I guess I trust you, but I'm not sure you know what's best in this situation. Like, I don't know if I can trust you in this one. Or, or how about this one? God, maybe you're holding back on me. Maybe you're holding back. Or, or maybe you've said these words before, Lord, I don't know if I can trust you with this situation. I mean, I know in a general sense I can trust you, but this one over here is just different. And it feels different, or it's too dear to my heart, or there's something about this one thing, and we think, I don't know that I can turn this part over to God. Because here's this idea, again, that, that we struggle to know, is God trustworthy? Can I trust him with all the circumstances of my life? Can I trust him with it all? See, when you and I refuse to trust God, in a sense, this is what we're saying to him. And this is your next fill in the blank. It's this. In a sense, we're saying to him, God, I believe I can handle this better than you. That's really what we're saying. We don't trust him in some of these areas of our life. We're saying, in a sense, God, I I think I can do a better job managing this situation, managing this relationship, managing this challenge, managing this area of suffering, whatever it is we're facing, I think I can do it better than you can. My leadership is better than yours in this situation. That's essentially what we're saying. I remember, this has been years ago now, and I remember it in particular with Sean. I don't know why it's Sean, but, but my, my son, my oldest, but all the kids were like this. I remember trying to feed them. You remember this when you have like newborns, like one years old, and they're in the high chair, and you got this jar of like broccoli, pear, radioactive, nasty, whatever is in that jar of stuff that the kids eat and whatever. So you pop it open, and you got the spoon, and, and you're going to feed the kid. And then, and, then, and then what do they do often? Like they, like, they want the spoon, and so it gets everywhere, and they want to take the spoon from you and shove it in their ear, and, and it turns into this battle. And the more they interfere with you trying to feed, the messier it gets, right? It gets on you, it gets on them, it's on the walls. It's just the whole kind of scene. And, and, and this, is, this is essentially what we're talking about, where we come to a place and, and we say, 
like I would train our kids, put your hands on the tray. <laughs> Leave your hands down. Trust mom or dad to feed you with the nasty, the food, right? And to go into your mouth. And so keep your hands down. And when we did that, and when the kids did that, it worked better. They ate. It limited the, the mess, the chaos. And sometimes for us, just by way of analogy, I think it's that same idea. That God wants to do something, not with radioactive nasty, but he, he wants to, he's got something good in your life and he wants to work it out in your life. He's got a plan for your life. He's got good purposes for your life. But what do we do? We get the hands up in it. We grab the spoon from him and we keep the spoon or we, we do something different the spoon's never to do. I mean, you know, we throw the, whatever. We interfere with what God's doing. And then we wonder, God, why is this so hard? God, why is this not working out like it's supposed to? God, I thought you said you were going to do this or lead this way or do that kind of a thing and don't realize how often our hands get involved, that how much we, we interfere, if you will, in the process of what God's wanting to do as opposed to coming to a place of surrender, letting go, of saying, God, I'm going to trust who you are, and I'm going to trust how you're going to lead, and I'm going to trust that what you have in store is really, really good. See, your enemy knows that if your faith wavers, if your faith struggles, or if you hit a place where your faith is just in a a bad spot, and you're just like, I know God is there, I just don't trust him right now. The enemy is one. Because most likely, we will not we will not uh, spend time with or grow spiritually toward a God that we don't trust. He knows that we won't spend time in his word if we don't trust him. And we probably won't pray to him if we don't trust him. And we probably won't obey him beyond what's convenient for us already if we don't trust him. This is the battleground. Your faith, your trust in God is the battleground. And the enemy's tactic He shows it right there on the page, you know, Genesis chapter 3, is that he wants to bring skepticism to who God is and to how God works. And so as we wrap up this morning, here's what I'd like to do. I just want to, and even wrapping up the whole series, I want to bring us to three areas of life. Three areas of life that I have found over the years, I think are the most common areas that we we just struggle with faith. And I want to call them out. And and I want to ask some questions around it because I want to encourage you to take some time and reflect in your own life, how am I doing in these three areas? How are these areas for me? And see if you can relate as as I certainly can for each of these areas. Here they are. The question is, is how how is your level of trust in this area? Here's the first one, my future. My future. The question is this, is can I trust God to lead my life? Can I trust him for tomorrow and every day after? You know, a study came out recently from George Barna. It said that less than 10% of Christians, when facing a decision in life, a big life decision, will spend time in God's word and prayer in order to make that decision. Less than 10%. That's crazy. Because see, on this idea, you have to believe that God cares about the details of your life. You have to believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You have to believe that God wants to communicate that plan and purpose for your life. And all that's true. Can you trust God for tomorrow? Can you trust God for your future? This is a big area, I think, for a lot of us. Here's another one. How about this one? Timing. Can you trust God with timing? The key question here is, is God, when are you going to come through? 
when will you come through? As I've said before, that God is, 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 is rarely early, but he's never late. And God's timing is not our timing, and God's ways are not our ways. In fact, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, it's not on the slide, that's okay. It says this, it says, God's speaking now, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. He says, As high as the heavens are from the earth, that's a, that's a big gap. As high as the heavens are the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Paraphrasing, God's saying, look, I know you have an idea of how things are supposed to work out. I know you have an idea of what I'm supposed to do here, but I'm here to tell you that my ways, my thoughts are so much different than yours, and they're so better than yours. And so it puts us in a position, are we going to trust him? Are we going to trust his leadership with that? And so maybe for some of you, you're facing a situation, and timing is a part of that. God, when? when? It's the when question. When are you going to come through? Can you trust him in that area? And then here's our last one. So my future, my timing, and here's the last one. My expectations. My expectations. The question here is, is my faith based on God's performance? Because look, if, if you view God as your little pet monkey to do what you want, dance and you say dance, go and you say go, or come when you say come, you will be frustrated. Because God will not allow himself to be put in that kind of a box. He won't. And sometimes we do this. We put these expectations on this is who God is supposed to be. And this is what God is supposed to do. And if he doesn't work the way I think I think he should work, then somehow either God's not there, God doesn't care, God is distant, God is left, whatever we kind of plug in a response to that. But sometimes expectations are such a big deal in how we come before God and trust him. We want to surrender to him. We want to trust him for everything that we're going through and everything that we're facing. My hope is this, as we begin to close, and Banjo has come out if you were this morning. I hope from these last seven weeks, you've grabbed a hold of a couple things. Number one, I hope that you have walked away with this idea that God cares deeply about your faith. It's not just a thing. It's the main thing that he cares deeply about your faith, that he wants to grow your faith. And I hope, and this is the second thing I hope you've walked away with, I hope that there's, there's a, a burning desire within you to say, in 2019, I don't want to be the same person I was in January. That when 12 months has passed by, that God, I want to trust that you've done something in my life, that you have changed me, you've transformed me, that, that, that there's been something that you've done that has helped me, and I am not the same person I was that namely you want your faith to grow, that you want to grow in faith. Because remember this, the great battle for your spiritual life is this, it's will you believe? In fact, I'll say it this way, every spiritual problem that we face ultimately comes back to your faith. It comes back to trust and will you trust him? It's not about trying harder. It's not about doing more. It's not about being more. It's about surrender, trust. I'm saying, God, I'm all yours. And the details of my life are all yours. And while I don't understand everything that you're doing, and I don't know that everything and how it's going to turn out, I know you. And I know your character. And because of that, I can grab a hold of that and never let go and walk with him now through this crazy thing called life, through all that's in store. Your faith is a big deal. 
Can we pray together? Can, can I pray for you as we wrap up this series? I want to pray for, for those of us here this morning, for our, our faith, for those of you watching on Facebook as well, you're a part of this, and, and, and just to ask that God would deepen the faith wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, that he would draw us closer to him and deepen our faith. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for these seven weeks. We thank you for this chance to, to look at this topic of faith and to remember that while you are, are creative and you work in so many different ways, Lord, that there are some primary ways that you get our attention, that there's ways that you want to deepen us, whether it's in spending time in scripture, whether it's through our tears, through prayer, worship, Father, we're asking that you would deepen our faith. Each of us here this morning or watching on Facebook or, or anywhere else in the country just being a part of this this morning, we, we ask, Father, that you would, you would help us to become men, women, and boys and girls because we know you that are able to say, God, I will trust you with this. And I know, too, that there are situations that, that we're facing just in this room here this morning that are hard and they're scary and they're stretching our faith. And I pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit's enabling, give us the courage, give us the ability to turn it all over to you and surrender to you. Father, we love you. We're your church. We praise you. We declare our dependence on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you will, stand and join us um, in one more song. We're going to end with Great Are You, Lord. Um, This is a really neat song. It's one of my favorites. Uh, Something I love about this song is it's got one verse. And we sing it twice. Um, and it's three lines long. And, and I think the reason I bring that up is because the, the few lines that, that we're going to sing are so important. Um, especially as we think about trusting um, with our lives. And, and, and admittedly, um, there's areas that God hasn't stretched me personally to trust him. Um, but there's areas that pastor brought up that I know others have been stretched. Um, and that's a challenge. And so I just encourage you that as we sing this last song to... Uh, let the truth of who God is and, and what he's done in our lives just, whether it's coming out of your lips whether it's just rattling around in your brain just let that truth sink in um, and empower you to grow your faith and, and trust God um, the way the pastor just, just encourages to so let's sing this last one together <laughs>